listening to a Clovis Hills podcast. You're about to hear from one of our teaching pastors. I want to encourage you, go download the Clovis Hills app where you can listen to sermons, you can give, you can do the growth group questions. They're on there too. And you can study God's word together. God bless you guys and go be the church. Hey, good morning, Clovis Hills. How we doing? The clock just got to zero. That means I start. And so I just want to welcome everybody who's watching us, our online community. We want to welcome you guys. Thanks for tuning in. We want to say hi to our Old Town campus over there, Pastor John and his crew over there. We want to welcome. And hey, I want to welcome the North Campus. How are you guys doing? Doing good. Looking good. Looking good. Hey, listen. We are all on these timers now because of, because of uh, everybody's viewing in. I mean, there's like people viewing in online right now. Want to say hi to all our people in Colombia, Bogota, Colombia. I know you're watching. Malawi, Africa. I know you're watching. It's crazy. It's all over the world. But we're on all these timers. And Pastor Sean ran out of time to talk about how... Um, um, when we launch on Easter and we go to three services, we're kind of redoing our teams. We were, we were gone for almost a year, you know, at COVID and some of our teams kind of, you know, we just need to get them back together. And so if you would like to volunteer, you would like to serve, I want to encourage you to do this. There is a number that should be going up on the screen. Is there a number behind me? I don't want to look. Is there a number? Yes. Yeah, there's a number. It's right there, 559-235-1525. I want to encourage you, if you would like to serve, uh, not only on Easter, but on any one of our teams moving forward during the three services, text that number. Last service, I took out my phone, I text that number. It came up exactly this right here. It says, uh, we are so excited you're interested in serving. Please fill out this form. You hit that uh, link. It'll take you to a form, and all the form is just to put your information down and then let us know where you would like to serve. It'll give you several options, and then you fill that out, send it back, and then we'll contact you, and we'll get you all connected. Fair enough? All right, fair enough. You can take it down now. It's perfect. All right. Uh, we are, are in this series called Sinners, Saints, and Sufferers. I hope you are enjoying it. Pastor Sean's message last week was incredible. I, if you did not catch it, go back and catch it. You want to catch that. But we're going to continue on in that service. I don't have a lot of time. I'm down to 22 minutes. So I'm going to dive right in. So if you have your Bibles, your iPhones, your iPads, however you access the Word of God, we are going to be in Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. If you don't know where Hebrews is in the Bible, that's okay. You go all the way to the end of the Bible, and then you start going left. Click over that for a few books. You'll see a few books called 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, 1st, 2nd Peter. Then you'll get right to Hebrews. Uh, with that, in honor of God's Word, will you please stand and join me as we read it? Together, Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for his sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son, today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the seven days of Jesus' life, during the, I'm sorry, not the seven days, he lived much longer than that. During the, 
During the days of Jesus' life on earth, they offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death as he was heard because of his irreverent submission. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. This is God's word. You may be seated. So if you were here last week, Pastor Sean did a great job about talking about the high priest and what the high priest function is and where the high priest comes from. But you got to understand that the writer of Hebrews is writing to a Jewish audience. He's writing to those people who would understand where a high priest or any kind of priest would come from. The high priest would come from the tribe of Levi through the house of Aaron. That's just what happened. There was no deviation from that. If you were a priest, you came from the tribe of Levi. If you were the high priest, you came from the house of Aaron. And the the writer of Hebrews is writing to let them know that Jesus now is the high priest, that God ordained him to be the high priest. As As the son was on earth living out his life, the father called out and said that you will be the high priest. The function of the high priest was to offer sacrifices for the sins, not only his own, but for the entire nation of Israel. And once a year, he'd go into the Holy of Holies, even though he was sinful, as Hebrews points out, he would offer a sacrifice for all sin. And so the father ordains the son, Jesus, to be the high priest so that we understand that when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he was once and for all offering the sacrifice for your sin and mine. Not for this present time or just not that time, but for our past sins, our present sins, and our future sins. Jesus took those on the cross for us sacrificing not anything else but himself, shedding the blood. The scripture says without the shedding of blood, there'd be no remission of sin. And so therefore he sacrificed himself, becoming the ultimate sacrificial lamb, dying for you and I. Isn't that good news? It's incredible good news. That's the gospel message. And the writer of Hebrews is letting them know this is why Jesus is the high priest. But there's a problem. You see, if you were living back in this day and you were a devout Jew, you would be looking at this going, wait a minute, there's something wrong. How can Jesus be both king and high priest? It can't happen. You see, the high priest come from the line of Aaron and Jesus came from the tribe of Judah through the house of David. And he cannot be both high priest and king. There's a problem. They did not mix. They were clearly different. This is what was established. This was the law. Don't mess with the law. And what what the writer of Hebrews does is say, listen, what you think God established, what you guys say that God does, what you determine to be that can't happen, God made happen back in Genesis chapter 14. So what I want you to do is I want you to put a pin right here in Hebrews 5 and I want you to travel back with me to Genesis chapter 14. If you're not familiar, Genesis is the first book in the Bible so it's really easy to get to. Find Genesis, get with me to chapter 14. Now listen, you're gonna hear this, this name again, Melchizedek. 
And so I want to read this passage, but actually before I get to this passage, let me give you a quick background on what's happening before I read it. There's a guy named Abram. Later, he will become Abraham. Abraham is the father. He is the forefather of the nation of Israel, of the Jewish people, the Hebrew people. A very important character in Scripture. Abraham's mentioned over 611 times in Scripture. That's pretty important. I wish I could be in there even once, but I didn't live during that time period. But just once in school, he's 611 times. He's a big deal. But the story we're about to read out of Genesis chapter 14 predates him making a covenant with God. He's not Abraham yet, he's still Abram. And, and if you knew anything about Abram, Abram was an idol worshiper. He wasn't that great of a dude, but yet God chose him to establish a people, the Hebrew people, the nation of Israel. And through his line, he would establish this great nation that would follow him. And so we have Abram, and Abraham just came back from war. Abram just came back from war. You see, his, his uh, nephew Lot was taken in a, in a war. He lost a battle. They took him, and a guy came running to Abram and said, hey, there, there was a battle. It happened. Lot's team lost. So Lot is lost over there. They have him in captivity. You need to go save him. Abraham takes what the Bible says, 308 fighting men who are ready to fight. He takes his men. He goes over there, and he gets back Lot, his nephew, he saves him and he takes all the treasure and everything. Now, this is where we're gonna start the story in Genesis. Here comes Abram riding with all his men. He's got all the treasure. He's feeling good about himself. He's like, yeah, I just, you know, it's the only war he was ever in. So he's like undefeated, one and oh. You know, he's feeling good. He's riding into the King's Valley, like has to feel really good. Like when I picture this, I like picture him on a camel, probably like a two hump camel. Cause that's like, he's, you know, that's Abram, like he's swag, you know? And so he's coming in feeling all good. And then this guy appears in the story. And that's where we're gonna start. Verse 17, chapter 14, verse 17. It says this, after Abram returned from defeating Kindalomar, I don't even know if I just said that right. I just said it confidently. You guys believe me, huh? I don't know if that's Kindalomar, but I'm just gonna say it. After Abram returned from defeating Kay and the king's allied with him, the king of Sodom uh, came out to meet him in the valley of Shaviv, which is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, that's who we just talked about in Hebrews, right? He said, Jesus came through the line of Melchizedek. Ah, here we go. Verse 18. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed Abram saying, blessed be Abram by uh, by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a 10th of everything. Just as quick as Melchizedek enters into the biblical narrative, he disappears. And this is all we know about Melchizedek. But what we understand in these few verses is this. Let me point it out to you. He is, what does it say? Verse 18, that he is king of Salem. Now, this is before Jerusalem was ever a, a city. You know, the, the, Jerusalem doesn't even become the capital city of Jerusalem until 900 years after this. But yet, we have this character, this man in the scripture who says that he is king of Salem and he is high priest of Salem. What? 
Wait a minute. You, we just thought, we just heard the Hebrew, the, the, the writer of Hebrews is addressing this issue. You can't be king and you can't be high priest. But yet, Jesus answers or God answers that question right here in Genesis 14. We find a character who is both king of Salem, by the way, eventually that becomes Jerusalem, okay? And he is a servant of God most high. That means he worships Yahweh. He worships the one true God. And we find this character who is both king and high priest. Take that. Because everybody in the writer of Hebrews, he's addressing a crowd who thought, wait a minute, in my box, in the way that I view God, in the way that I've always interpreted things, you can't be, have a per, one person who's both king and high priest. And God says, nope, sorry, wrong. Answer that in Genesis 14. So here's my point. Here's my point. This week, I sent my sermon notes to the sermon team so they could get all this stuff ready. And somebody sent back, do you have any points to your sermon? I said, my sermon is pointless. <laughs> but I got a big idea. <laughs> so take this big idea. Here it is. Are you ready? Put it up on the screen. We can't define God through the lens of our experiences. We can't define who God is based on what we've experienced in life. You see, the writer of Hebrews is addressing a Jewish nation who was just like, wait a minute, I know he's king, he comes through the line of Judah, but, but he can't be high priest. Well, why not? Because that's not how God works. And they put him in a box. And they put God in this box. And, and instead of letting God determine how God works, by looking at his word and discovering for ourselves who God is, and what the heart of God is, what they did and what we tend to do is we take a look at our experiences, we allow our experiences and we project them on God. Let me give you an example. Growing up, I'm not gonna tell you this story because I don't want anybody to feel sorry for me. It is what it is. But growing up, I just lived in a household that neither my mom or dad ever told me that they loved me. Now, I knew my mom and dad loved me. That was not a question. I knew they loved me. They just weren't verbal. They never told me. In fact, the whole, my whole memory of childhood, I never remember my mom saying it, and I only remember my dad saying it one time, okay? But I knew they loved me, so don't be like, oh, he lived in this loveless house. That's not true. My dad had a funny way of showing his love. He was a Marine, and so he had a very funny way of showing his love. I'm not saying nothing about all Marines. It was just this Marine that he, you know, that he, he was showing his way. But, um, but that caused something in my relationship, like, you know, when I did something wrong, my dad would get on me and then he would just say, you know, or if I was hurting or, I, you know, I fell, he'd just like, get up, boy, dust yourself off. Come on, let's go. You know, that, that kind of a thing. That's, this is how I grew up. And when I became a Christian as a teenager, I couldn't help but project that onto God. And so for the longest time, my interaction with God was every time I sinned or I was doing something or I fell, fell short of God's glory, my always thought was God was just like, come on now, hurry up and get up. He was distant. He wasn't a God that was right next to me or who was in me, involved in me and wanted to be every aspect of my life. He was a God that was just kind of far in distance. Who was, every time I'd mess up, he'd be just like, you know what, come on, let's go, we're moving on. That's just how I projected it. Are you following me? Are you following me? 
That sometimes we just project those things, those relationships that we have, we've experienced them, and then all of a sudden we, we put those attributes to God, and, and that's just not what God is. We put God in a box. I had a, a parent who was extremely codependent. And my whole childhood seemed to be evolved around trying to make sure that one parent was happy. That was what it seemed like as my childhood. I just always wanted to make sure that one parent was happy. And so I was always just like, well, whatever you want. Hey, whatever you want. And whether they were happy or not all depended on what I, what I could do for them. And I projected that onto God. You see, for a long time when I became a Christian, I thought that God was only happy when I was doing great things for him. But the moment I stopped doing great things for him, his love faded. That was something I projected onto God, which is not true. That was the box in which I put God in. The reality is this. It doesn't matter whether you sin or not sin. God loves you despite that. He will always love you. He will pursue you to the end of the earth. He will remind you every day that he loves you. He will tell you all the time that he loves you. He will never bow out on you. He is there with you all the time. That's the reality of the truth of scripture and what God reveals about his heart towards us. So if you see, think that God is distant, if you think that times that God is not listening, if you think that, that God's up there and he just wound up this clock and he let it go just to let the heaven or to let earth just kind of go on its own without paying any attention to it, then you're absolutely wrong. You are projecting into God and not allowing God to speak through himself through the scripture. And this is an issue. This is an issue because sometimes God would so much like to be the God of the scripture his characteristics is for you and I is to deal gently with you and I, not harshly. The Bible says that if you are in Christ Jesus, then Jesus was the high priest. He sacrificed himself by dying on a cross. And listen to this, this is good news, that as he hung on the cross, as painful and agonizing as it was, as he hung on the cross, the scripture says that he took your sins and my sins, past, present, and future, and it died with him on the cross. And so that when we stand before God, we are to be judged because we have been separated because of our sins. But because of what happened on the cross, Jesus takes our place. And so as soon as judgment comes down, we don't feel that. For those who are in Christ Jesus, we don't feel God's judgment because Jesus took that on himself. That is good news. Yes. And so for those of us in Christ Jesus, the high priest Jesus deals with us gently, not full of wrath. Look what it says. Back to Hebrews chapter five. Oh no, I pulled out my notes and I lost Hebrews chapter five. But I got it right here, don't you worry. James, Hebrews, followed my own trick. Hebrews chapter five, verse two. Now he's talking about the high priest, a human high priest here in this verse. But he's giving you an idea of what high priest, the ideal high priest. You see, there were high priests and some of them were good and some of them weren't so good. 
And he says here in verse two about the high priest that he is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray. Now, what he means by this is this. Numbers chapter 12 tells us that there's two different kinds of sins. One sin is that we do deliberately and then one, one sin is that we do ignorantly, like, like we don't know that we're doing it, but it's still sin. So that's what he's referring to. It says, it doesn't matter if you're doing it ignorantly, like you don't even know you're sinning or that you're purposely sinning. The high priest is going to deal gently with you. Why is that? Since he himself is subject to weakness. He deals gently with us. Now, last week we looked at Hebrews chapter four and we talked about how, Pastor Sean talked about how, how Jesus dealt with every kind of temptation we dealt with. And yet he was without sin. He was the perfect sacrificial lamb. And so in this place, we understand that, that a high priest deals gently with the people. And now the father ordained Jesus to be the high priest. Therefore, we have a high priest who understands what we're going through because he's been through everything that we went through. And now it is safely to say that the heart of God is found right here in chapter five, verse two, that says his desire for us is to deal gently with us. How many times have you heard people say, I can't go to church, because the moment I go to church, I'm gonna be consumed by this fire, take it up, you know. I can't go to church. I can't go to church because I don't wanna be a hypocrite. Well, guess what? Everybody in this room's a hypocrite. I'm the chief hypocrite. But that's why I gotta be in church, because I gotta get to the one. I need to be near the heart of the one who is perfect and died for me so that I can work on my hypocrisy. Right? We're right where we should be. Because I always, when people say that, I'm like, and you wanna stay in your hypocrisy? If you don't get to church, join us. It's a party. (laughs) We're just trying to get to the heart of God. And what the heart of God says, whatever our box said about God, I want you to understand that the scripture has revealed God to be one who deals with us gently. And that's his heart. Now, Jesus being God, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all we need to do is look at his life, If you want to see the heart of God, you just look at his life. How did he deal with the woman at the well who had several marriages and they all failed and she was by herself now because she was an outcast? How did he deal with her? He dealt gently. How did he deal with the woman who was brought to him and thrown in front of him and said she was just caught in adultery? How did he deal with her? Gently. He picked her up and said, where are your accusers? No one's accused you here. Now go. How did Jesus deal even with the Pharisees who he knew were twisting the law and their hearts were all messed up? Even with them, he dealt gently. So the truth is the matter is this morning, no matter where you are at in your relationship with God, no matter whether you came in today thinking that there's no way I could be in the presence of God today, or you came in full of the spirit, he deals gently with you. I get it, guys, I get it. Because there's been times that I've been in this mess where I come into church 
and the band's doing their thing up here and they're dancing around and singing. And by the way, I love when they dance. The more dancing, the better. It's like Christian aerobics. It's awesome. I don't get the people who are like, God is good. You know, it's like, well, then you should show it. Looks like you've been baptized in vinegar. What's wrong with you? That's why we sing the way we sing. But I get it, guys. I've come to church and they're worshiping. And if I was to be honest with you, there are times that I I raise, you know, the scripture says raise holy hands unto heaven. And there's times that I start to raise my hand and I think to myself, I don't even, God, I know what I've done with these hands. I can't raise holy hands to you. There's been times that I, I approach God in prayer and I'm like, oh God, you are so good and you are holy. And, and I just feel like those words are empty because I'm not holy. And therefore I stop praying. But I want you to understand today that that's not the truth of what the scripture says. The truth says it doesn't matter your viewpoint on who you are. The truth is what God says and sees about you. Those of you who are in Christ Jesus, understand this point. Those of you who are in Christ Jesus, it doesn't matter the sin that you bring to God. He's not shocked by anything. He's not like, Angelique, how could you? He's not like that. Truth of the matter of the scripture is, those who are in Christ Jesus, He's not upset by the sin. He's bewildered that we don't bring it to him. That's what bewilders him. I died on a cross for you. I died for all of your sin. And you're gonna sit there and ruminate in it? You're gonna sit there and stew in it? You're gonna sit there and believe the lies that even though you have sin in you, you can't raise holy hands to him? Of course you can because you're mine. You you can come into my presence. You can come into this place. You can approach me boldly, the scripture says in Hebrews, because you're mine. And a lot of times we put God in a box and we think, man, we're just dealing with all this sin. I can't approach God. Oh, that's the furthest from the truth. We can approach God boldly. Hebrews said it, Pastor Sean talked about it last week. We can boldly approach God at his throne. And he wants to deal gently with us. And he wants to reconcile. He wants us to repent so that we can have this relationship with him. We sing it, right? We just got done singing it. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. I was trying to figure out how this plays out in my own life this week. And this is what I got for you right here. You ready? Being a pastor is already kind of weird. I'm just letting you in on a little secret. Be out on the golf course, people be cussing, and then they're like, what do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. They're like, oh, no no more cussing. Can't cuss around the pastor. I'm all, you should cuss after that shank, man. (laughs) I'm out of control. All right. So being a pastor is already weird. You know what's, being, what's worse than being a pastor, what's weirder than being a pastor? is actually pastor's kids. You gotta understand, man. Our poor kids don't have a chance. <laughs> Wherever they are, they're like, you're the pastor's kid. How can you say that? I don't know, I heard my dad say it. I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> All right, I might have pulled back too much of the curtain right there. But. 
Oh dear, you got that online? Seriously, being a pastor's kid's weird. I feel bad for my, my, my kiddos. And pray for your pastor's kids. Seriously, it's a different experience. But this is what, but I want you to understand this. You know, when my kids were young, they're not so much young anymore. When they want dad now, it's because they want either permission to go somewhere or they want money. Like that's, they're like, you know, getting to that age. But when they were younger, they just wanted dad. You know what I mean? They just wanted dad. And I remember there'd be places that I would be preaching even here at Clovis Hills or other churches. And when I got done teaching, my kids didn't know. They just thought dad was over. He was done with his job and they just would run up to me. You know what I mean? And I decided early on that I would never make my, my kids wait for anything, you know, in that situation. So just, just like at Clovis Hills now, us teaching pastors, we're, we're nothing special. I just told you we're nothing special. And, and uh, we don't go to the back room. We don't go to a green room after the service. We'll pray with anybody. We'll talk with anybody. And after any given service, there's always people who need prayer and talking to. So there's always kind of a line and that kind of a thing. And that, that happens every, all the churches. And I remember I'd get done preaching a sermon and then some people would want to come talk to me. And then, yeah, my kids would run up to me. And I just decided early on that I wasn't going to make my kids wait. And if my kids ran up to me, I would just say, hold on a minute, I'm gonna recognize my children and I'm gonna pick them up and I'm gonna hold them. And I'm gonna let them know, I see you, I'll be with you in just a moment, but I'm not gonna make you wait in line. Does that make sense? Like, I know that some of you are like, that's not fair, I was in line, but I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. Cause like, that's my kids, you know what I'm saying? So, so this is how I wanna end this morning. I want you to understand something. In Hebrews, right before chapter five and chapter four, Pastor Sean talked about this last week, that we can boldly, those who are in Christ Jesus can boldly approach the throne any time. You know why? Because we are his. He doesn't tell us to wait in line. He doesn't say, I don't have time for you. He's just like my children. When my children run to me, I'm gonna grab them and I'm gonna recognize them and I'm gonna look at them. I'm not gonna tell them to wait in line. And God does the same thing. Those who are in Christ Jesus, we could boldly approach his throne and he tells us, he does not tell us to wait in line. He says, you come on in because you're mine. Whatever your thought is about God, Whatever we've projected upon God, you need to understand what Hebrews was telling us is that because he is the high priest and he sacrificed for all of our sins, that we could boldly approach him, those who are in Christ Jesus, and he'll never tell you to wait in line. Isn't that good news? The God of the universe does not tell us to wait in line. Now here's the deal. The scripture is very clear for those who are in Christ Jesus, this is true. But you have to understand something. God is fully just, fully just. And that our sins separated us from him. And because of his being fully just, there was a penalty that had to be paid. Jesus paid that penalty on the cross. And the Bible says in Acts that whoever would call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. They will be in him. They will be part of him, have relationship with him. 
The Bible says it's by his grace and mercy that we are saved because of his willingness to die on a cross. Now, I tell you that because I have to be real. He is fully just. And if you are not part of Christ, if you have not given your life to him, then that justice will happen. But the good news is this. The Bible says that he wishes that all should come to him. All have a relationship with him. All should come to repentance. That's his desire. You know why? Because he deals gently with us. He is patient with us. And so today could be the day. Perhaps you walked in here and you're like, I, I don't know if I'm part of Christ. I don't know if I'm in him. Maybe you walked in today and it was like, I'm just glad the ceiling didn't fall because I thought a lightning bolt was gonna hit me. That's not who God is. God desires to have a relationship with you. And the Bible says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we shall be saved. We could be in him. And so my challenge as I wrap up today is this. If you are here this morning and you don't know if you are in Christ Jesus, that is to say you don't know if you have a relationship with him, the good news is today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. The Bible says that if you simply confess with your mouth, he is Lord. So if you could utter those words and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that means you really believe that he died for you and rose again, then you can enter into his presence and have a relationship with him. How do you do that? The Bible says in Revelation chapter three, verse 20, that he's standing outside of your heart's door and knocking. He says, uh, I'm standing outside your heart door and knocking. Anybody who opens up the door and lets me in, I will come in. That means we need to invite him to come into our life. And the way we do that is we just simply talk to him and ask him to do that. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I need you. I believe what you did for me on the cross. I confess you as Lord and I invite you to come into my life. If that's the desire of your heart this morning, just pray a prayer, simple as that. For the rest of you, I wanna challenge you this week. What are you projecting onto God? What kind of box are you putting God in? And let's free him from that box and let's discover for ourselves through his word what the heart of God is. Because I will guarantee you, you will find that it is a gentle one. Let's pray.